Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. On today's episode, we have two special guests joining us. We have Cher and Henry are here to talk with us about diversity and inclusion. Cher and Henry, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Hello, I'm Cher. I'm a senior software engineer at Webflow, formerly uh, known as Cher of Blizzard Entertainment, Starbucks, and uh, USA Today. My favorite happy hour beverage is uh, cider, I guess. The hard Ooh. kind or the non-alcoholic kind. I will participate in many apple beverages. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Henry. <clears throat> yeah, so I guess, okay, I'm Henry. Um, I'm a maintainer on Babel. Uh, I guess I'm doing that full time now. <laughs> I guess. It's been a whole year. I, guess, I, I should be more confident about that, right? I guess I just like water. Cheers. <laughs> All right, let's also give introduction of today's panelists. Jem, you want to start it off? Jem Young, Senior Software Engineer at Netflix. Stacey London, Senior Front-End Engineer at Atlassian. Uh, Augustus Yoon, Software Engineer at Twitch. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a Software Engineering Manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front-End Happy Hour podcast, we love to choose a keyword that, if it's mentioned at all, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Belonging. Belonging. All right, from now on, if the word gets brought up, we will all take a drink. All right, before we dive in, I figured we got to really talk about what is inclusion and diversity. What does that mean to each of you? Different perspectives is like what I think of. To me, the the baseline of diversity and inclusion is not only the perspectives of various different backgrounds and experiences, but then also the welcomeness of those different backgrounds. If I want to, I kind of want to use the word. It's, do it, do it. It's so it, do it, it actually like, explains so well right, like having a sense of belonging right yeah like having right a home, cheers. kind of that kind cheers. of cheers right cheers but yeah i think that's an important aspect of it too is that you know you can say that you're trying to be more diverse or be more inclusive but you also need to have the people actually feel like they belong cheers cheers, cheers. maybe this was a bad word <laughs> why is diversity and inclusion important specifically even in our industry maybe it's like even at your companies but why is that important i mean specifically in technology um, we're building products that not everyone can use and from a business standpoint obviously like you're not reaching everybody you can reach but then also we end up actually excluding people from being able to use our products i think that's super important we're trying to build products for everyone And of course, you can't get feedback from everyone. So being able to have people come from different walks of life, they're going to bring their own experiences to try and help influence the direction of the product that we're creating. There's that old saying, which is like two heads are better than one, but really it's two experiences are better than one. Oh, I like that. That's really good. I like that. The thing that you make is better because you're going to miss things like your experience in this world while you may have, you know, let's say moved around and traveled and seen things. It still doesn't matter. Like it's still not as good as someone who has lived a very different experience than you. So they're going to, they're going to bring something to that product development discussion or that way of programming that you may not have thought of. And I think of this like as an example for women apps that, you know, want to track your location or things that are about entering lots of private information. If you've never had to worry about your safety before, then you may not think that that's a problem. And so you may not have ever even like, it's never come up. But if you have a diverse team, someone on your team 
that has thought that is going to bring it up and you're just going to build a better product. You know, it's really interesting that you kind of bring that up because on the ride here, one of the things I was kind of thinking about was that every time I get into a Lyft or an Uber, I make sure that I am watching where the driver is going. And I'm also looking to see that his his app is on the right page, like all of these different things that I think about that I know that other people who haven't had to worry about their safety would never even think about something like that. I like I know I've gotten in lifts with other people and they're just like on their phones, they're doing whatever. And I'm constantly like being aware and like thinking about ways that like, I can make lift safer. Like, what if there was like a panic button that they had to have in their car and they couldn't accept rides unless lift could locate uh, the panic button, like things like that, like people who have never had to worry about being kidnapped by a Lyft driver, um, they would never think of adding products like that. And that's why it's so important that you have those different experiences in your product development. Another example I can think of is like your product being better as a whole. Uh, you had sure you mentioned like accessibility or keyboard navigation kind of things. And, and that's something like as an example for, for Bitbucket, the target user group for that product is a lot of people doing really technical things. They're, you know, using Git, the command line, they're, they're doing stuff where they maybe love using keyboard shortcuts. They maybe don't like using mice or whatever productivity things for nerds. <laughs> and so if you make the site more keyboard accessible, you've just made the product better anyway. For not necessarily people that That's aren't necess- like that are using screen words or cited, but you're just better as a whole for everyone that's using it. And you know, it's super interesting is that a lot of made for TV products are actually for people who um, are disabled, but they market them to mass media because that's how you can sell a product is by giving a reason other than um, a lack of abledness um, to sell that product. And so it's like I use the keyboard heavily um, because, you know, I, I like CLI. I'm not so good with actually just like using software, which is weird since we like write software. <laughs> um, but I'm definitely a keyboard user. And so I was talking with EJ Mason, who they are disabled, and they told me how they use certain like menu features. And I realized that it was a little bit different than the way that I use keyboard features. So then also considering like, okay, now there's two, you know, there's at least two different types of keyboard users. How are we going to address what those two different keyboard users needs? And so again, more experiences. I also love that you just use pronouns there, which is great too, because that's another form of being inclusive is just being aware that, yeah, someone may have different pronouns and just being aware of that. And I think that's awesome. It's even when companies add that into their profiles at work mm-hmm. and making it very inclusive that way where it's like feels comfortable like hey this is a normal thing for people to call out their pronouns and i think that's even just a small small smidgen of a good thing that can make people feel more well belong yeah <laughs> see i was trying to avoid it there stacy <laughs> cheers i think if we want to talk about the importance of inclusion i actually think that that's almost more important than diversity and, and maybe that's because they're so intertwined because I think you cannot have diversity without inclusion. Like anybody who has been discriminated against that goes and works at a place that is like, we're a great place to work. We're diverse. You know, so quickly if you've been hired because they're trying to fix their diversity problem and well, it's commendable that that's what they're trying to do. If they aren't also trying to make this space welcoming for the people that they're hiring and actually do away with the problems that made them, you know, a homogenous environment to begin with, 
those people that you hire, I have done this, will leave and they will tell everybody they know in the Whisper Networks not to go work there because it's a toxic work environment for your identity group. If you're not working on the inclusion side, which is really rooting out the toxic problems that are in your organization and making sure that the space is is welcoming for those people that you are trying to hire, which I mean, most businesses are trying to be more diverse for business reasons. Like, you know, we all work in tech. We understand at the end of the day, it's about, you know, making money and growing the business. So us coming back and saying like, you have to do more than just hiring black people or hiring women or hiring disabled people or, you know, people who aren't heteronormative, like all of these different things. It's being inclusive. Isn't just about hiring. It's about building healthcare programs and safe spaces for those people that you hire to be. It's not just tech, right? This is a problem like across many different industries and like there's still a lot of work to do, but I love how tech is so many people are very outspoken about this and they feel comfortable or at least from what I can see, like people feel more comfortable in tech to bring bring out up, bring up these problems than in other industries. But Honestly, like this is a problem, like in every industry. Oh, and it's going to be a problem for a long time too, as it doesn't it doesn't change overnight. I think another thing that comes up a lot in these conversations is, you know, we talk about hiring. Is that we're like, oh, okay, well, there's a pipeline problem. There's not enough girls or you know young black people interested in specifically for us for technology, right? There's not enough coders, so we teach all these people to code. But role models are actually so insanely important for not just, you know, development in children, but development at all ages. There's this thing in the brain, this process called vicarious reinforcement, which is where you see people who look like you and you actually experience the dopamine uh, neuron firings that make you feel like you're experiencing the success of the people that you see. So, as a result, because of, you know, dopamine makes you like do awesome stuff, right? Like you end up being more productive and more motivated and more believing in yourself because you get this sense of belonging um, into that. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> into that group because you literally see yourself, feel yourself, experience yourself in those roles. And so it becomes very apparent that we have to have truly diverse sets of people at every single role, especially in specifically in, you know, tech engineering for that's, you know, what we know, you know, not just the interns and the software engineers of every single level, but also management and executives and, and chairs and boards and advisors. Like you have to have um, diverse leadership at every single level. I have to be able to see myself in a role above where I am in order to grow. That is fascinating. I have never heard the science behind that. I, I read actually, a lot. Actually, of yeah, I was, I was blown away. I was like, wow. To be honest, I was like, <laughs> I actually like, I was like, holy crap. Yeah, that does kind of happen. Like I've seen like, uh, Asian actors or very like senior executives who were Asian. And I was just like, I was like, I felt empowered, you know, I, but I couldn't explain it, but holy crap, you just explained it. So my <laughs> mind's kind of blown. I don't know. Interestingly, I guess I've been in this industry long enough where when I first started working, I worked with mostly people that were quite a bit older than me. And there were a lot of women. I worked in industries, maybe yeah, like uh, financial industry stuff, where there's a lot of COBOL and PL1. So there was a lot of uh, women you know, close to like 60 something that, you know, were, were uh, leaders at the company. They um, had been there forever. They've been doing this work. And so I actually did see 
women in these sort of like high level roles. And and so my first experience out of school was seeing that and it's diminished and gotten very opposite over time, which is sad, but it speaks to, you know, it's not a pipeline problem, blah, blah, blah. It's about inclusion and, and feeling like you belong. And so I had that and I'm very grateful for that, but I think it, it's a different trajectory. Now you're just coming into the industry. There's this writer from Nigeria. Her name is uh, Chimamanda Ningozi Adichie, and she has this TED Talk that is so old, and I've shared it so many times on Twitter over the last 10 years, but it's called The Dangers of the Single Story. And uh, one of the things she talks about is growing up, she only had access to like British and American books, which were stories of people in Britain and America. And so the first books that she wrote were about people that she knew from writing and to her, Africans didn't belong in books. And it wasn't until she got into college um, or, or somewhere along those lines that she uh, was able to see herself in her own writing. And, you know, you talked about like what you're exposed to on TV. Like we grow up, we grew up seeing ourselves on TV. Um, and I, looking back now, I can see how important um, television shows like The Fresh Prince of Bel Air you know, were for, um, people like I grew up in an area that, I mean, I wouldn't say it was terribly diverse. It was, if it was diverse, it was mostly like Asians because it was the East side of Seattle area. But, um, the, the family that actually my family was closest to was black. And I don't think I ever realized like why certain television shows were so important to them. I just enjoyed watching them with them. But now looking back as an adult, I can see that like, 90% of the television that we watched were, you know, these white, you know, upper middle class families. And so to see somebody who looked like them on TV, even if they couldn't relate to, you know, the Fresh Prince, because the, you know, the family was, you know, wealthy, at least they could see themselves like getting to wherever that was. So I'm interested to hear everyone's thoughts too, because I feel like this has become a more important topic recently like i don't know where where the recency bias is over you know maybe it is 10 years five years but i feel like it's become a more important topic and i'd I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts why why it has become more of an important topic that we are discussing one of the reasons is the world has become a smaller place especially with the internet interconnectedness like i can meet people who don't look like me don't think like me and and by that i mean i don't mean like tall black i mean American or like Christian or have my same cultural values. And we start meeting more of these people and we realize we can't really have a good dialogue with them because we don't have the same basis. So let's step back and try to understand where they're coming from. And actually, when people that look different and think different to you, like let's include them too. And then let's build something out of that. Let's become better. And I think increasingly we're just becoming more aware like, hey, that's the right thing to do. I actually think, I feel like there's, there's that. And then there's the other side too. Like I was like a closet gamer growing up because it wasn't like super cool for a girl to be playing MMOs <laughs> online. Ooh, games. <laughs> so I didn't have a lot of friends, but really for me, like places like EverQuest were the first place where I felt like I could talk about the stuff that I was hiding at school 
And I mean, obviously not just the games, but there was other stuff like abuse and my family's poverty. Like it was not cool at my school to be poor, but there were a lot of other teenagers who were online, not just in, in gaming, but in chat rooms who had really similar stories, especially other girls who also played video games, also got abused at home, also were poor. And so getting that sense of belonging online, I started to realize that I, oh, cheers. cheers. <laughs> nice. I started to realize that I wasn't really all that alone and I started to feel like I could be safe to start talking about um, the things that I was hiding that I felt like were unjust. Interesting too. It's like very powerful, the internet. Community. I think, yeah, mm -hmm. you get these yes. communities that you're just not exposed to in your, maybe in, like you said, in a school or now you can actually grow this community and, and find the people that are more like you and that you can actually show up to be yourself. Because I think that's another piece of inclusion that I think about at a company uh, going to work. You spend a lot of your time there, a lot. And you should feel comfortable showing up yourself, right? You're going to do your best work if you aren't having to have this cognitive load being worried that like, oh, I'm different or are they judging me on this? It's like, if you can really, truly show up to be yourself. So a lot of this stems from the recent economic conditions that we're all in. The world generally in the past 10 years has done very well in general. Uh, there are outliers, of course. But what that meant was employment rates are like at all time high, at least in the United States, a lot of other countries as well. So in tech, which is always understaffed, been understaffed for like 20 years now, they go and they're like, gosh, darn it, we have these six-figure jobs and we can't find any qualified engineers. Like, where did you look? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I look for people in wearing suits and ties and then went to Harvard and Stanford and all these things. So some smarter people came around and said, hey, you know, there's people that went to other schools and don't look like you and don't look like the type of person you're looking for and have names that aren't, well, traditional Anglo-Saxon names. And people are like, wait, What? You're, you're blowing my mind. I've been trying to hire Come people for on. two years. and Yeah. And then, you know. It's just a talent shortage. We don't know. It's a talent shortage. Yeah. The pipeline's oh, not big enough. It's always you know, a pipeline problem. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of it started uh, with women just saying like, hey, we're really good engineers too. And people are like, what? You're kidding. Prove it. Yeah. Name that, every single browser API. <laughs> and that's how, it, that's how it was. That's how it still is a lot of places. But that was the truth was... People said that we have this problem. There's not enough engineers. They're like, what do you mean? We're graduating tons of engineers. They're they're right behind you. I'm like, oh, so now, thankfully, tech is like the leading industry, one of the leading industries in America. So we have the money and we have the power. We have the time. And they're like, oh, crap, we should open our pipelines a little bit more. And then Google started saying with their studies saying, hey, if you build a more diverse team, they're actually better than this team of Ivy League graduates. People were like, what? Well, Google said it. So, and then other tech companies started coming along. <laughs> I mean, credits all the, all companies had their own, but that's why it's become an important topic. And because tech is so dominant right now in the world, we tend to push that conversation a bit more. So that's saying, like, I think tech does a pretty good job, but we could do better. We can always do better. And there are other industries that have not been held accountable. I won't call them out finance. But no, 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 call them out. Like, they're, I, I 100% agree. That is actually the industry I was thinking about. Gaming. Like, oh, oh, yeah. No, gaming one. is such one. a great one. Yes. So, like, I, I'm not saying let's all pat ourselves on the back and, you know, hug each oh, other. Oh, we cannot. <laughs> not yet. We have, we have yet. a long way to go. But, like, we're doing something. I, I like the thing in tech. People in this room are trying to do something. But there are other industries that are, like, 
staunchly not doing anything not doing anything so exactly you know don't beat yourself up too bad maybe a little but not too bad so we talked about a lot about inclusive environments and diversity in our companies and i'm I'm curious where have you all had an example where it's been a positive experience that you've had at maybe it's your i hope it's your current company but a company like where have you had a positive experience i would say that since I've started working in engineering 15 years ago, the first positive experience that I had was at Blizzard Entertainment. There was, is still a lot of problems there with, um, you know, sexism, but there is a lot of inclusion that they do really extremely well. And I felt very supported one because i had a female manager i wasn't her direct hire but she was above my manager and for the first time i felt like there was somebody i could go talk to about the way that i was feeling about how i was being treated and talked to and not just having somebody to vent about it who understood but actually having somebody to validate it because prior to that there were times where and this one that specifically stands out to me was when we went through a reorganization at USA Today and literally everybody on my team quit except for myself and this guy, Craig, who had only been there for two weeks. So basically it was me with all of the knowledge of how our mobile website had been built at the time on velocity templates and in Groovy on Rails. And literally nobody else in the company worked on this technology. So, you know, they were all like already in like Python and like, and I was over here in like ancient <laughs> Grails days. Um, working on this stuff. And we're in this meeting because we combined the mobile and the desktop teams into one because we wanted to build responsive website and just talking about the technology and how things worked on the previous site. And the manager kept asking Craig the questions that he did not know fuck all about. It was and brand new. <laughs> it was brand new. And I kept having to answer the questions, but for an hour it didn't change. The questions were never directed at me. So, and I could, there was nobody I could talk to about that. You know, like I tried and it was just like, that's not what happened. And I'm like, that's definitely what happened. Like we weren't even sitting next to each other. Like I was like, hello, hello. I'm the one who knows this stuff, which to that manager's credit at the end of the year following that, like I was like his go-to engineer, but that I had to like earn that, right? This guy, Craig, who'd been there for two weeks, just got that automatically and I didn't. And so to go back to, to go to Blizzard and have a manager who I could be like, this person assumes that I'm an idiot and her be like, yeah, that really sucks. It still happens to me. I've been in this industry for, you know, 20 years longer than you. She was so much older than me. And, and so that was a really positive thing. Just having that female leadership right there, that female mentorship. Um, and then now at, Webflow to be able to say like, I need to take a mental health day when I'm on Twitter, um, talking about, you know, all of these different sorts of topics and spending what looks to people like all day fighting for on other people's behalf. Somebody will tag Vlad and Webflow and they'll be like, she's not doing any work. She's been on Twitter all day. She needs to get fired. And he will step in and be like, this is work that she's doing that I think is really important. He's like, and and she knows that. And that's why she's on here doing it. And she doesn't feel like her job is in jeopardy because this work is very important. And I think that that just going back from where I was finally feeling validated and having a mentor at Blizzard all the way to now where I, I have that. And then I also have all of these other layers of like uh, inclusive healthcare and 
you know, I, I work remotely, which is super important to me as a single parent and feeling like I can leave at any time during the day if something is going on with my daughter or I need to go to the doctor for a physical or mental health thing, like that I can do that. And not only do I not have anybody bothering me about it, but for the first time ever, I don't feel guilty. Like I don't, I'm not having anxiety that somebody is going to be like, she's not pulling her weight, which even at companies where it was like, we know you're a single mom and it's fine. There was always somebody making some comment about how I left more during the day than other people, even though my output was so often double other people's. I'm glad. I'm really happy for you that you have that. Belonging. Cheers. 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 That's Cheers. actually really yeah. key. Good. <laughs> Good trigger word. I had an experience uh, back at Evernote. I haven't been at Twitch long enough. Actually, when we were talking about um, different industries, um, it made me think of something that happened at Evernote once where uh, when I was on marketing website, um, probably past when Ryan was there also, but uh, we have people from QA and they're from like many different backgrounds. Um, a lot of them are Russian. Some are, um, we have offshore QA in Vietnam. And it was it was really random, but I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we have this one senior QA engineer. Her name's Alana. Um, she's been working at Evernote for a really long time. Um, and she's like, she's from Russia. She has a crazy story. And I think one time she was like QAing. She was looking at Evernote in Russian, one of the marketing pages. And this is like the homepage. And she said, this copy is like super offensive. <laughs> like, and I, I couldn't, you know, I don't know Russian, but it, it was like the way it was phrased. It was like, she said, this like sounds like super, super offensive. Like, um, and I, so I wish I had like more details, but I just like really appreciated that she brought that experience and perspective. Um, and well, then I was like, wow, that's, uh, that sucks. And, then, <laughs> and, and well, and we, we got it figured out. I think we talked to the translation team and they got someone to like change it and they agreed with her. So, so I, I, I thought that was like a time when I thought like, wow, this is, this actually like makes an impact because like, we do it's like if you think of all the different types of users that you have like like the homepage of all the Ru all everyone from Russia came to that homepage and they're like I'm not downloading Evernote for that you know, what the hell they're calling me like I, I don't know what it said to but so yeah it's nice yeah she saw something she said and something, she felt and comfortable saying about, about it, it right? right i'll say ryan has done a really good job and i'm not just saying that he's not my manager anymore he can't even <laughs> oh, he can't even give me a raise so this gets me oh, nowhere <laughs> but people around in tech and people around the company have said ryan you do a really good job at like looking for candidates that are non-traditional areas they they're like how do you find all these talented people and you're just like well like go out to conferences and I talk to people and I talk to everybody. I don't talk to them based on what they look like or how, what I think their skill is. I actually ask them and we have a very diverse team on, I could say just our, our team is extremely diverse and it's a really good team. So good job to you. Thank you. Yeah. I think to me that maybe where the whole pipeline aspect always gets said, it's like, well, where are you looking? The schools got brought up and like, if you're looking at the same schools, the, the typical like, schools that have great computer science courses and like that's where you're looking to hire sure great th th that's not a bad idea but it's like you're really limiting your funnel at that point you're only looking at one type of person it goes deeper and this is a broader episode and we don't have time for that but it's not just race and gender and the things you consider there's like uh religious background like yeah 
not everybody in the world is Christian. I say this because America is predominantly Christian, but not everybody is. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. I'm not Christian. One. Yeah. There you go. It, it, it's an easy one to assume. It's like uh, that comes to holiday celebrations. And when you talk about inclusives, like, hey, we're going to go celebrate Christmas. Someone's like, well, I don't celebrate Christmas. I'm Jewish or something. And they're like, what? And you make them feel weird. It's little stuff like that that I think you got your way not to do. Yeah. Or you can change the wording like a holiday, a holiday. party. Like right. that's what it is. But when we think of diversity, we also think not just the things I mentioned, but socioeconomic diversity, which is something mm. we don't think about at all. We're like, well, yeah, of course we can go and hang out. Yeah, this place costs $50 to get in. Why? That's of course, cheap, right? That's right? cheap. It's Fair. San Francisco. It's nothing. I'm not joking. That's so much stuff. But it, it extends to that point. We're all like, oh, yeah, we're okay. I'm friends with people from a lot of socioeconomic backgrounds. But if you're a hiring manager, you're someone in leadership and you go to hire somebody. You're like, I can't find anybody qualified in my pipeline. Or everybody do kind of looks and sounds like you. Where are you going? Oh, you're going to, I won't call any conferences, but there are some $2,000 ticket conferences. Who do you think's going to those? It's a very certain subset. And you miss out people like Henry Zhu, amazing engineer, but you're not going to a $2,000 conference. Like you're, you're an open source developer who relies on donations to keep going as your job. Like you would never meet someone as qualified as you. And that's kind of what this whole thing is about is just reaching different people that you wouldn't normally run into. Yeah. I think even conferences it's in general are hard because someone is a lot fortunate if they have a company paying for them to attend, but that's not always the case. And I'm, I'm actually really appreciating where I'm seeing a lot of sponsorship from companies where they're offering to pay for tickets that people can apply for, which is really cool because then you are exposing new people to a conference, which I think is so great for so many ways. You you build a network, you learn, you meet people that you can talk to and learn from. But I think it's also really good as an engineer. I've always tried, always encouraged people on our teams, any company I've worked at, I think you should go to a conference if you can once a year. It is like super inspiring to like watch some people's talks. Henry's a good speaker. I'll, I'll give him a shout out because he was actually at Netflix today speaking. But, you know, being able to see someone else kind of share their ideas is is really inspiring. And so I think like it's really good if people are able to go. And so, yeah, not even even the cheap conference that we're not a $2,000 conference, some people still can't afford to go. And so I am liking seeing more and more that even conferences and companies are trying to be better about that. So React Rally, the conference that you and I met at, Starbucks actually would not pay for me to go to that. And Ryan Florence reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to go. And, um, you know, his, his company, they sponsored me to go to, um, to React Rally. And, and that's one of those things where it's like, I wouldn't even be having this opportunity if it weren't for somebody else, you know, being like, I think that she should go. Like, I think that she needs to be exposed to that for whatever reason. And I mean, really that I I know a lot of people knew who I was before that, but that catapulted me to another level, you know, of, of my career. And, um, I know that that's why, uh, the CEO of the company I work for now, I know that that's why he knows, you know, who I am as part of those kinds of networking. And those things are super, super important. And to that same fact, that's also important why you have, you should have a diverse speaking lineup because again, you're going back to seeing yourself where you in that role, like that you can be not necessarily that you're going to be that speaker, right? But that you can see yourself in that role that the person has outside of speaking. So, you know, that you can be the open source software engineer, all of those things. So that sense of belonging. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, I guess it even just goes into the, the topic that you speak about in the first place. You know, I, I guess I used to think that I had to talk about the, the technical aspects of Babel. And then I was like, wait, my actual story that I really want to tell is about 
what's it like doing open source? And, and yeah, I have had a lot of people come up to me like, Hey, I never really thought about open source in this way. I'm really encouraged that you were talking about maybe the non, even the non coding aspects of it. And now that's kind of like the only thing I focus on, I guess. Even at Netflix today, I think it was really great to hear from someone that's just like, I never see, thought about like even just open source in that lens. And I think giving people a picture of what it could be like, and even also not doing out a company, whatever it is, you know, we always have all these, I guess, dichotomies that we create or you have to do it. Um, you have to get paid for it. You have to do it full time. Maybe you just want to do it as a volunteer. Like I think there's this, like open source is so vague and that could be a good thing. Kind of that's like the beauty of it. It's like we don't have to force anyone to do anything. You're doing it on your, you know, free time volunteer. You can get paid for it too. I think that's, that's what's great about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you've actually shared your story around the open source because I think it, it is very inspiring and also almost better for everyone to hear too is like even if they're not wanting to do open source but almost even appreciating the work that's going into it because it's really easy to forget that that there's someone behind the scenes that is making a framework or making tooling like Babel, who like companies use and so many people use it it touches so many people make their lives easier it's so easy to forget that that's done and so i think sharing your story has been inspiring in that way too which is great especially when i first quit to do this full time and even before you know you feel guilty kind of, you know, not writing commits. And, you know, that maybe this is a way, like, we, you know, we, this is how we think as engineers. You know, you got to measure the thing that you're doing. It has to be quantitative. You know, GitHub tracks, like, your contributions, and it's only through PRs and issues and comments. And, you know, people want to get to the... And that, that's how I got started. I, I did want to get to the top of that list of contributors, you know, get to number one or whatever. And then you slowly, you know, I guess over time, you're like, that's not really what I want. It's also not really going to sustain you if you're going to keep doing this. Um, eventually you're like, actually, I want a lot of other people to help out because there's, um, an infinite amount of work to be done. And, and that's another, I mean, yeah, open source has the same issues around like, how do we get people involved? And I think one of the bigger things I'm trying to get into is just like, we, we talk about like, you know, open source is not all about code, but like, how do we, um, we, we talk about it a lot, but I think I'm hopefully I'm kind of, in a way living that now because I used, so I, yeah, I was, I used to feel guilty. Like if I don't make a PR because people are paying me money now, uh, what am I supposed to do or be as a maintainer? Is, is it just like the one that just, uh, fixes those bugs or is it someone that can do all these other things? Um, and now I'm like, now I've finally realized it's like, no, like nobody is doing those things for most projects. Like kind of thinking about like coordination and communication, the, the, those kinds of things. Um, and, and I even, you know, at this, at the GitHub, uh, conference, I, I talked to like a salesperson and they were like super interested. And I was like, that's interesting that, you know, they have no background on that or like someone in design or, or someone that is really good at like copy editing. Like, I think those are all valuable roles, but, um, we don't, yeah, it's true. Also another thing, we don't see anyone doing those things. The only maintainers we see are the people that made them in the first place. I didn't make the project, and, but then people assumed that I did. And I keep telling them I didn't. Um, and, and then in a way, you know, it kind of helps because I, I don't care, like, not that I don't care about the coding, but like, I don't care as much about like kind of, you know, what specifically is going on because I'm trying to think a little bit high level. Um, and I think that helps me be a better maintainer, actually, because I'm not like arguing over this nitty gritty stuff necessarily. Um, and, you know, thinking a little bit bigger. So, and I, I think that's a little, that's about the inclusion and diversity too, of like, um, you know, we, we have a very limited view of what open source is about. 
um, maybe because of the name too. Uh, but yeah, I, I hopefully, you know, kind of being okay, not feeling guilty or being okay with kind of trying something different um, is, is probably. And it took so long for me to get to that point. And that, that's what's great about open source is like, you need all the help you can get, and it doesn't matter if where you come from or who you are. It just matters like, can you code? That's it. There, there. You're just an anonymous. And even yep. then, you can learn to code yeah, throughout exactly. that too. Yeah, like, yeah. To Henry's point, I think you are greater than your code. You're greater than your commits, and and like that is so important to making great software. And to recognize that is, I think, how you get to build great things. And something about open source, I think, that's really like to talk about feeling like you belong in that world. Cheers. 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 Is you know, you don't see, for me, you don't see a lot of commits or attempts to try and participate in that world. And a lot of it is because I've seen how scary it can be and how people get torn apart and how mean people are to each other in that world. And I was like, I don't have the emotional capacity to try and, you know, deal with some of that. And like, and that's sad because I think there's so many, I think there's probably a lot of talent and a lot of people that self-select out of contributing to open source because they don't feel like they, I want to use the word, but yeah. it all yeah. along, right? Or that, you said welcome. <laughs> and that, and that's, you know, that's unfortunate for the, the open source community. And I, I want to contribute, but I'm also kind of scared. That's an interesting point of inequity. That's the idea of spoons, right? Like you only have so many resources to give, so much energy to give, and you start out with a more depleted tank than other people because women, especially in open source software, face a lot more beratement um, than their male or men counterparts. I don't want to say male because I know that people who aren't gender normative, they also, you know, face a lot of harassment as well. But another point of inequity is that, uh, um, a lot of, you know, single parents or people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, they actually don't have the financial stability to work uncompensated. I know myself, right. like I've literally never been in a situation where I can work for free. And that's another inequity. When people start using OSS to measure how much of an engineer you are, or yeah. like if I go up against another candidate who I maybe have more experience or we have the same experience, but they have a ton of OSS work that they're known for, that person gets hired. Like they're literally getting hired because of an inequity that I, I can't match that because I've never had the financial or um, or support from or another parent time or is time, a big thing. time, is time in order to to contribute to open source in the way that this other person that doesn't have kids or you know doesn't come from uh, generational poverty has to give. It is still unfortunate. Like it's not normal for your company to pay for you to work on open source at work, and that would help with this kind of issue. That you know, it, yeah, it's so sad that like we assume that. If you're doing it, it must mean that you know you're doing it on your free time. It's like, you know, we're using all this software, and it's not that different from our the regular code at your company. It's a dependency. We talk about this idea of ownership that you're you're actually depending on this thing. You might as well figure out how to work with it because waiting around for some random volunteer to fix your issue is is not going to really work in the long run. Um, and yeah, and I think it does goes both ways. It's like, it's great that it, it's free and anyone can volunteer. And then, but of course, you know, I, I talked about this in my, the talk today, um, kind of, you know, I actually titled it like, uh, why you shouldn't do open source full time as a joke. <laughs> Obviously, that's what I do. But just to say that, yeah, there's a lot of nuance. Like, there's a lot of great benefits and just 
people you get to meet in the community, and it was it's amazing. But then, yes, you, you know, I shared a few, you know, things that people have said about things in open source, um, and, and yeah, that's a normal thing, which is such a weird thing to say, right? It's, it shouldn't be that way. And, and another point I would say is that it is kind of this, I guess you could say, cyclical, toxic thing where it's like, if you see other people behave in that way, the maintainers, maybe they have, they had good intentions at first. And, you know, we all, we all want to help each other out. And then you kind of end up doing the same thing as the other people, like quote unquote other people. And then you are the person. So I used that whole Dark Knight quote about, you know, how like, you know, you start off as the hero and at the end you become the, the evil person. And it's like important to be aware of that. Like you're not always the good person. Um, and we all start like at a good place and then we end somewhere else. It's like we need to know that. Um, and, and also that you don't even have to, yeah, be a part of that project. You just see it somewhere online and now you don't want to be involved in any open source, which is, which is horrible. Um, or of course the, you know, some issue gets linked on like, you know, social media and then now, it all blows up and I think maintainers have a really hard time of like knowing what to do in that situation because maybe that's never happened they get in some sort of trauma with that and they, they don't know how to deal with it they get burnt out uh, you know there are certain things you can do that github's done you know that you can lock the issue you can even temporarily lock the whole repo because people will make another issue just to complain again and then it'll just keep going on forever so you can do this thing where like only people have interacted with it previously you can enter and you maybe do that for like one like 24 hours just to kind of chill. Um, but yeah, there's a huge amount of... That's kind of nice too to almost get that mental health break from that. That's stressful yeah, like yeah. for anyone to have to deal with. I think that as much as we sometimes feel like there's like a dystopian technology place that we're going to where computers control everything, there's also a place where we can take it where computers help us with this problem. And one of the things that um, I made something uh, during a hackathon at work that I think we can use more of in the industry and the world. And it was uh, using natural language processing and things to, to monitor tone and to monitor, assess people's inputs. So it was a thing called Sasswatch, which was like, if you, if you make a, a really crappy comment on a pull request to somebody that's mean or has like terrible words, uh, that it would give you an assessment of, of, of the sentiment and like, give it back to you and give it, give you that moment of pause to be like, Hey, that was kind of a shitty thing to say. Don't post it. And to like intercept people's communication in a way that's like thoughtful and helpful to like make them pause. And maybe just a little bit of that might help. And not to say that it solves anything, but computers in some way could, could try and like, this is before you post before you post. Yeah does an assessment and what I what we built is it did this a sentiment assessment and then it showed you an emoji that was like if the sentiment was really bad it was like a little poop emoji and then if it was really <laughs> good it was like a smile and it's not perfect because we you know that that kind of language processing is not perfect stuff like that I think would help make people feel safer in communities to participate knowing that people are getting feedback immediately without having to have humans involved yeah. at every step to say are you being you know a kind good person right and I think like Making it a little bit more subtle, not just like you suck kind of thing, but like the smiley or frowny face, I think that would at least signal to you that, that that's something you should think about. And also not doing it after, so then yeah. everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, just not. <laughs> Before we get into picks, I do want to say thank you everyone for sharing. This is not an easy topic. It is definitely a hard topic to discuss. And I want to thank everyone for just sharing their stories and viewpoints because this is not an easy topic. But yeah, let's go around and share our picks uh, with our listeners today. 
Jem, you want to start it off? Today, I have three picks. Uh, the first pick is a blog post by uh, Stephen Popovic. Maybe mispronouncing that. Uh, but it's called Arxis Seniority. And Henry, it's funny you brought up what you said about thinking about engineering in a different way. Because this blog post addresses that in terms of when people hear senior engineer, they think someone that types can type with two keyboards or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality... Being senior actually means generally less coding. You're trying to make people around you more productive. And oftentimes that's just being the one to document things or being the one to call the meetings and doing that unpleasant work that people take for granted. But that's a lot of what being senior is. It's not just coding a lot more. Actually, I code probably less than I ever have in general, but I get more done, which is like a weird dichotomy that I think people have a hard time switching over. It's a good blog post. It's got lots of charts if you don't like to read. Uh, my second blog post or my second pick is a music pick. It is um, the Uncluded. So I don't. I probably haven't mentioned it enough, but like Aesop Rock is one of my favorite artists of all time. Like I know him. You know him personally? Yes, I do. It's amazing. His name is Ian. <laughs> Introductions for Jim. I mean, I would love that. Um, I, I genuinely think Aesop Rock is a genius. I, I don't put that label on many people, but I genuinely think his his uh, level of wordsmithing is like another level. He's an incredible person too. He he's someone I want to hang out with eventually. I'm probably not cool enough to hang out with him, but like you, I I've hung out with him. You're definitely cool. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, the Uncluded is Aesop Rock, one of my favorite artists, and Kimya Dawson from the Moldy Peaches, which is like this weird dichotomy of sound because you have Aesop Rock, who's like kind of gravelly a little bit, and you have uh, Kimya, who's like kind of a higher pitched voice, very unique sound. But they come together, and it's just like they offset each other brilliantly. It's it's an album worth listening to. My third pick is, um, I feel like I've done this before, Henry Zhu. Uh, everybody, donate to Henry. Give him money <laughs> for Babel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you use Babel, and I know you're probably not giving money. Yes. I don't see a Rolex. We do. Henry. We all use Babel. We do at Webflow. At last one, uses yeah, Babel. Yeah, yeah. Evernote was big on Babel. We, we use TypeScript at, well, we also use TypeScript at Evernote, but we use TypeScript at Twitch. But, I mean, Babel is, of course... It's just incredible. Everybody, it's incredible. Everybody can donate $5. If you're a software engineer, you're probably making enough money to donate 5 or $7, whatever. Well, I guess what I'd say about the TypeScript thing or any of that stuff is like, if you care about JavaScript, our tool is obviously not just about the backwards compatibility, but the future of JavaScript itself. Yep. So I think even if you don't use it and you, and you care about JavaScript, you should probably donate. So. <laughs> <laughs> or make a PR, but, you know. Yeah, that would be nice. And I mean, I can help out with that, too. So, All right. Stacy, what do you have? All right. Two two music picks, uh, as always. Uh, the first one, the song uh, a friend of mine, Katie, uh, sent to me uh, one morning, and it's called Proud by The Nunnery. And they're from Minneapolis. That's where Katie lives. Um, and they're kind of a pop ambient electronic band, I guess. Um, but... I, I think the song is appropriate for this topic because maybe maybe if you're feeling a little having a hard day, it's hard. Maybe you're feeling like you don't belong at work. Listen Cheers. to this song. Listen Cheers. to this song. Cheers. <laughs> It'll make you feel just a little bit better. Uh, and then the second song is called "16 Psyche" by uh, Chelsea Wolf. Um, this is also, I would guess, I would say, diversifying my music picks. It is not electronic. <laughs> Um, she's from California and she's sort of like, uh, a blended element of Gothic rock, doom metal and folk music. Wow. I love it. You're just making those up now. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. 
All right, Henry, what do you have for us? Uh, I guess I didn't come up with any picks. I, I didn't really. I didn't know I was doing this today. But um, <laughs> special, special guest that shows super, up. Super, super special it. guest. Well, I, I can mention some stuff I even talked about in the talk today. I gave. There's a really great essay I, re- I, I read called "Programming as Theory Building." Um, it's from I think 1970s, but it talks about this idea that uh, theory building. I also use the word mental model. Um, programming. To many of us, maybe just seem like the, we talked about this, like reducing everything to some code. Um, but really it's about the, the theory or the mental model we have behind the code. And if that's true, then the people behind that code is very important. This is, and I use the analogy of, you know, every time we go to a new company or you just go to open source, you're working on code that's legacy that someone else wrote. And, you know, you have to like essentially be an archaeologist to figure out exactly how it worked. But ideally, if you work with that person, they work there, you can talk to them about it. The, the, the bad thing is that everyone's changing their job all the time. So then, <laughs> that, you know, are you going to call them and be like, hey, how did this, you know, one function in this file work? So it's a great essay just thinking about how, you know, the, the code is tied to the people because ultimately the, the, um, the code reflects the thoughts or views of that person. I, I think, um, I read, uh, Justin had a great tweet the other day about like Redux and how, you know, kind of like no one really understands how it works but then they use it and they complain it's because none of us really have gotten into embracing like kind of the the mindset behind it and and this idea that it, i actually tweeted something to use a more religious term or phrase is that insight and knowledge is similar to conversion in the sense that it literally will change how you see the thing if you understand it then it will it'll change how you see all of, of those things um so i recommend that and then i Oh, and then another uh, book that I'm attempting to read is really difficult. Um, it's called Tools for Conviviality, um, which I really like that word, conviviality. I don't think we use it much, being jovial, that kind of thing. And it's actually a book about, like, more of a philosophy of technology book. Uh, we've been talking about, like, tech and like, kind of even ethics of tech and where's tech going. And it, this book is about, I guess, this idea of, you know, kind of anti-industrialization kind of thing where, like, you know, we tend to think that the more money put, the if something is going wrong with X, we need more of it. Kind of more is better. You know, if there's more, if tech isn't working, we're going to use more tech. You know, instead of write more code, instead of less code. You know, I mean, yeah. Um, and it's just really, I mean, it's really hard to to like think like that because it's not how we work. But it's an interesting uh, topic to think about. Um, and then, um, I guess this is a personal thing. I, I wrote a blog post a few months ago about um, why I live in New York still. Um, you know, I don't have to live anywhere now, but I chose to live in this expensive place. But um, And, and then the, the word I, I kind of have for the reason is uh, serendipity, uh, which is you know, it's chance encounter, that kind of idea that, you know, maybe the world is a little bit more um, magical than you think. You get to meet some random people on the street, people you don't know, people you know, people that you used to know, like from you know middle school, and you just randomly see them in New York. You're like, what are you doing here? Um, which is like amazing. And I think that doesn't really happen in a lot of places. And, and it also got me thinking, like, how does that relate to what we do? Like, how do we create a space that encourages that kind of thing? And I, that's, in, that's kind of related to belonging, too, in, in the sense of like not... Cheers. Um, Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. It's not just a bunch of uh, people online, but like you know, finding your community. Right on. Augustus, what do you have? 
Uh, okay, cool. Um, I usually have tech picks, but I'm going a little wild here, you know? Uh-oh. Start ever since that uh, ravioli, you know, I've just been like, <laughs> I hope it's only ravioli oh, picks from oh here on out. Trader Joe's is, is paying for this. No, <laughs> no, um, yeah, one, one thing is I'm trying to embrace remote work a lot more now, and it's hard to find, like, really good coffee shops sometimes. Like, the coffee might be great, but they don't have enough outlets or blah, 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 so... I have like this Google map save places. So maybe I'll just like, so one that um, I kind of like that was really close to Evernote. It's based in Redwood City. It's called Cyclismo Cafe. They have a really good lavender coffee, plenty of outlets. There's always tons of space. Um, and it's just like a really, really nice environment. So um, yeah, that's one of my picks. I think it's worth checking out. Um, and another, and my next pick, ooh, another wild one is. Ravioli. Uh, it's not ravioli. Uh, it's boba. Um, there's a, there's a lot of good boba, you know. Boba there's to go with the ravioli. Bo- bo- yeah, that's oh, oof, my, oh my gosh. What wow. about ravioli filled with boba? Ooh. What? Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. It, there's lots. I'm not that wild yet, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of different types of boba shops. This one, I don't know how big it is, um, but it, it's a very very small shop in SF called Black Sugar. Um, and I th- definitely think it's worth checking out. Um, the guy there who started it, uh, he started it by himself with, well, not by himself, with someone else. And, uh, he was next to another very, very famous boat shop. And, um, surprisingly, they took off. People like swung by and they're like, wow, this is really good. So I think they're worth checking out as well. Right on. Share what do you have? I had three, but now I have four. Right on. Um, so the first one is a book. It's called Stamped from the Beginning. It's by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. It is the definitive history of racist ideas in America. It is the winner of the national, a winner of the National Book Award. And it provides a clear history of how racist ideas were created, spread, and deeply rooted in American society. This book, um, I've, I've pretty much always been an activist. Um, and when it comes to inequity, um, but this book helped me to understand a life, a, a lived experience that I didn't have and to uh, see history in a way that I wasn't educated on. Um, one thing that I uh, I took from um, uh, another, that, that TED Talk that I mentioned earlier, which is um, uh, the dangers of the single story um, is that one, if you want to um, be detrimental to a people is to tell a story starting with the second part of the story. Um, so a lot of the education that we have here is about how we, uh, and I mean, we as um, colonial America responded to native Americans or um, to Africans instead of talking about um what happened first, which is, you know, we, we came to America and, you know, started, um, violent, um, activities as it were. Um, and, and I think it's really important to look at, um, these stories that we've been told from the other side. And this book is absolutely essential in understanding, um, racism in the United States of America at the very least. The second pick is an al- is uh, FKA Twig's new album, Magdalene. I originally heard her song on the first season of Mystery Robot, um, which was actually played while someone was being murdered. But I... <laughs> <laughs> It's just a TV show. It's not real. <laughs> um, but I really, really loved uh, that song. Uh, and um, 
this boy that I really liked at the time, um, he also really liked the song. So it's really stuck with me. So it's an artist that I really hung on to for personal reasons, but I really like her. Um, she's English. Um, she actually started her career when she was only 17 years old. Um, and she is just absolutely incredibly talented and just super cool to check out, especially if that's not really the kind of music you usually listen to. Um, really enjoy her stuff. Um, third is a different podcast. Sorry. Um, to it's my, allowed. It's allowed. My co-host. Um, it is the modern figures podcast, which is uh, hosted by Dr. Kyla McMullen and Dr. Jeremy Waysom. And they are currently recording their second season. There is a first season, which is available to consume right now. Um, and they are elevating black women voices in computing, um, working to dispel the myths, um, that there is a pipeline problem, for example. And and just generally helping, um, you know, uh, black women who are already in computing and then also who, you know, s- want to see themselves in computing, um, have a sense of belonging. <laughs> Cheers. 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 And then Cheers. the fourth thing is a, a quote that I heard um, earlier today from Megan Rapinoe that I think we all should live by. And uh, somebody asked me earlier. Um, which I know that this was a bad faith question, but I'm going to answer it anyway, which is like, why, uh, do I work so hard, um, to speak for, um, people other than women when it comes to diversity and inclusion? And that is because I believe, like Megan Rapinoe, that it is my job to work relentlessly to dismantle the system that benefits some over the detriment of others. All right. And I'm actually keeping it on topic as well with, uh, some, Two videos uh, that I think with part of inclusion, I think, comes a lot with trust. I think trust is a really, really important thing uh, to make people feel inclusive or feel welcome is you also have to, like, earn and build trust. Um, so there's two really good talks that uh, I highly recommend. Brene Brown uh, has one called The Anatomy of Trust. Really good just in so many ways, I don't want to give too much. And I think you should all go watch the video. And the other one is by Frances Frey. She does one called How to Build and Rebuild Trust, which I think she has this really cool framework of thinking about how to build trust for like trust that isn't there. But then also we sometimes lose trust in people and like how you can rebuild that. I think it's really helpful for even thinking about how you work with coworkers or partnerships in your team. I think it's, it's really good in that way. And then if you're wanting some really, really good tips on diversity and inclusion and, and doing better within your company or just in your life in general, uh, there's a really great newsletter called Better Allies Newsletter. They send out five easy tips once a week on Friday. It always hits my inbox sometime in the morning. It's just great. It's a really quick, easy thing to digest, and I highly recommend checking that one out. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Sharon Henry for joining us. Pleasure having you both on. Henry, this is your second time on. You were on brief instance at a reactor alley a long time ago. Uh, but Cher, finally getting you on. That's great. Yeah, now you can't just talk about me. You've had me, <laughs> you've had me on too. <laughs> so where can people get in touch with you? You can reach me on Twitter at share.dev and dot is spelled out D-O-T. So C-H-E-R-D-O-T-D-E-V, share.dev on Twitter. Henry. I'm still left underscore pad on Twitter. If you don't know what that was about, <laughs> I guess I, I should first say I did not do any, I didn't do that, the thing. Because a lot of people assume that I, I made that happen. Um, but yeah, or you, uh, and then I am uh, HZOO on GitHub. So if you want to sponsor me there, you can do that. Right on. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can follow us on Twitter at FrontNHH. Any last words? We love all our listeners. You all belong.
Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.